recording um that you did put on spotify and it was i thought it was fantastic i thought like um the, the editing you did turned out, turned out pretty well um and it was actually like more enjoyable to listen to than i thought it was gonna be um i'm so leaving I, this in <laughs> i'm leaving this in for sure <laughs> no i, I appreciate it though. it turned out well i, I enjoyed it and i like told my girlfriend to listen to it yeah um, man i'm having fun with it so you know i'm gonna keep doing it okay <laughs> Hello, everyone. Today, we're discussing the 2019 film The Lighthouse, directed by Robert Eggers and written by Robert and Max Eggers, starring Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe. It was nominated for a 2020 Academy Award in Best Achievement in Cinematography. And basically, a summary of of this movie would be that two lighthouse keepers tried to maintain their sanity whilst living on a remote and mysterious New England island in the 1980s. Sorry, 1890s. (laughs) Um, a little bit of that's a big difference definitely the 1890s don't want to get that uh, twisted and then of course next week if you're interested in watching ahead um, we'll be discussing the movie Peanut Butter Falcon unless something changes Um, so go ahead and watch that if you're interested in keeping up with our discussions real time all right so basically let's just go around and give our first impressions and ratings of this movie we'll start with Colin I love starting with Colin Yes, because I was the one that picked this movie, and <laughs> quoting myself, uh, I said, "Let's get weird with it." And I heard this movie was weird. And he did. It turned out it is. So that worked out. Yeah. Right. Um, I liked it. I didn't like it as much as Parasite. Um, I thought it was definitely in the realm of like artsy, uh, kind of pushing the envelope movies. Um, in the middle, I watched it this morning which I think just might be my habit about these type of reviews. Um, But uh, my dad called me in the middle of it, and he asked me about if I was going to watch the Browns game today. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, I will, but I got to watch this uh, Lighthouse movie, and then we're going to record a podcast. And he's like, well, I'm not going to listen to it. I got to watch the game, but (laughs) like, have good luck with it. And he was like, what's it about? And I was like, well, it's... uh, like you said, I was like, there's two dudes, William Defoe and Robert Pattinson. They're just kind of slowly going crazy. And like, it felt very like Shining-y, like Yev and I talked about it, especially the scene with William Defoe chasing Robert Pattinson with an ax. Um, yeah. I, yeah. Mm-hmm. I was like, this is just like a psychological thriller for sure. And then this weird, you know. Yeah. Like mermaid genitalia. Real fun time. A lot of yeah, that was fun. autism. So, Fun is the great word to describe this movie. Yeah. I mean, I liked it. I thought it was it did what it best it could with, like, two people, black and white, shot in a square. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, I'd probably give it, like, a seven or an eight. Not nearly as good as Parasite, but it was a good movie. I wouldn't recommend to everyone, similar to Akira. Um, like, but if you're like, yeah, you want to get weird with it, like, you want William Dafoe to be this, you know, crazy, batshit captain dude like yeah give it a shot it's fun okay all right thanks colin um dude honestly he was so good in that role i like didn't buy it at first and then after like an hour i was like i am yes it's indistinguishable that that's willem dafoe yes mm-hmm. we're like this is very good for him. Like, like dang dude, so good okay uh let's hear from hunter what did you think i aired I, I kept going back and forth i thought it was a movie that at least for me, I had to think about a little bit after to appreciate more because during the movie, I'm not going to lie, I kind of said, what's what on earth is going on? 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a fair I, I reaction. I totally felt that way. I said, I don't understand what's happening. And because it just felt like there was no plot really moving the story along. But after the movie ends and upon reflection, I felt that I could appreciate it a little more. Uh, my parents also had seen this in theaters and their reaction was priceless when I told them that I was going to watch it. Um, they said, you're going to watch that movie? They said, oh, that was terrible. Um, they said, they'll have fun watching that. Like they were making fun of me. And um, uh, so that I had sort of the, that conception going in. But overall, I'd rate it a seven and a half. I thought it was more enjoyable than ordinary people. Um, but wow. as, as Colin mentioned, not as enjoyable <laughs> as Parasite. Um, but I also have some, I think there are some interesting themes for us to dive into today, which I'm excited to dive into. Sweet. All right, cool. What did you think, Beard? Yeah. Um, so when Colin said, let's get weird with it, I didn't, I had like, I had no idea what this movie was about, but I didn't think it was a weird movie just in like the very limited stuff I knew about it. So I was like, huh, I wonder why he said that. Like, this isn't a weird movie. Yeah. Um, and then I watched it and I was like, oh, this is very weird. Um, <laughs> It was it was good though. I I overall I did enjoy it. Um, I gave it a seventy two, um, which was almost exactly what I gave Akira. And I, I would say I, I enjoyed them about equally well. Um, I thought um, also funny what you just said, Colin, about saying like it did what it could do with like a square aspect ratio and being black and white, like as if that was a bad thing. But I thought that was like one of the best things about it. Um, it like felt very old timey, which I love because I love old movies and uh, I'm odd for that reason. Um, but I did like that. It felt like very much like a period piece, um, which was cool. And as far as psychological thrillers go, uh, yeah, I mean, this is up there. Um, I, I thought with the shining, um, and, and some of the others. Um, so I thought, I thought it was good at that. Um, I mean, you do, you definitely need to have like the right appetite for this movie. Um, if you if you're really gonna enjoy it, because um, I I do agree it wouldn't appeal to everybody. Um, but yeah, I mean if you, I mean if you go into it, you know, pretty openly, um, I I think it it was really good. It was exciting. It um it kept me engaged the whole time. Um, and I thought it was a well made movie. Cool. I I like your sentiment. All right, uh, Chad, what did you think about this movie? Yeah, I mean I'm kind of in line with everybody else. I thought um, it's definitely. A very weird movie. It's very out there. Um, definitely not for everybody. Um, but that being said, I think you know it executed some you know technical aspects of filmmaking very very well. Um, personally, to me, I mean, psychological thrillers are not my favorite type of movie, so it wasn't super enjoyable to me. Um, but I still found an immense appreciation for things like the acting. I thought was superb. Like we've already mentioned. Um, I really loved what they did with the sound design, uh, the way that they built in like the natural environment to the way that they incorporated sounds and music I thought was superb. Um, really enjoyed like the camera work, the, as we talked about, like the way it was filmed, the way it was shot, I thought like technically, and for a $4 million film, like I thought it was just incredible (laughs) what they were able to do with that budget. Um, so, you know, there were a few things that I didn't think I, there wasn't a lot that I loved, you know, this isn't like right up my alley, but. Um, for what they were trying to do and for the money that they had, I thought, man, you, you really can't ask that much more from from a film. That being said, I gave it a 65, but, you know, <laughs> I, you know, I gave them marks where I thought they deserved it. And, you know, I hit them in other places where I didn't think they, they were up to it. So, Absolutely savage. Okay. Yeah. Well, honestly, I, I like this movie a lot. Um, I gave it an 86 out of 100. 
Um, I gave it like really high marks on a lot of topics like acting. I mean, for instance, I could imagine watching this movie with the sound off and still getting most of what's going on. Like there was yes, just a I lot of same thing. incredible acting. And this is one of those movies like I have never really had that thought before while watching a movie. But in this movie, I, I actually had that thought multiple times. Like, wow, they're just so like really emotional. Mm-hmm. The, the filmography or whatever is just really incredible. Um, so I thought that was very interesting. And, and as, as far as like the black and white and the aspect ratio, I, I from the get go, I was like, wait, is my settings on my TV, right? <laughs> like I was very confused. <laughs> I was like, I need to check this. Um, but sure enough, they were they were correct, and uh, that's how the movie was shot, mm-hmm. um, which I liked. Um, again, like you said, period piece. Uh, and then finally, I just thought there was it was just like a detective feeling I got while watching the movie that made it more enjoyable. I felt very uh, involved in what was going on, trying to piece together who's telling the truth, mm-hmm. who's a reliable narrator, and who's not, which I felt like was the main conceit of this movie. Um, and then just overall at the ending, trying to understand what the point was of all of this. And for me, that was very enjoyable. And I am looking forward to talking about it more. Also the fact that this was like a two man show. Yep. Yeah. Very impressive. Like, and also I didn't realize it was Robert Pattinson until I just had this realization halfway through. I was like, wait a minute, that's Robert Pattinson. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> it's like awesome. Um, but like Willem yeah, Dafoe is so recognizable. Yeah. That's yeah. A, like on the other hand, it's William Dafoe shows up like in the first what thirty seconds. They're like, oh yeah, that's all you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Once I realized it was those two actors, I was even more in on it. I was like, oh man, this is a great duet film. Um, so yeah, I mean, I guess I guess my first question that I want to discuss, like, who do you trust? Who of the two people, if anyone, do you trust more? because i know at first i trusted uh the main character well who i would consider the main character of uh thomas howard or ephraim winslow um you know robert pattinson's character i trusted him at first because he seems to be the, the one who's the main character he's the one who's experienced everything and the other dude is just kind of rambling around farting mm-hmm. um and just overall not caring at all and yet he's also like no one can go in the lighthouse but me. It's mine. Right. She's mine. He's calling it a she. And uh, but then you know, as the movie goes on, you you start to realize, okay, maybe you know, Ephraim Winslow doesn't have it all together. Um, even though he's the one who's abstaining from alcohol, he seems to have a drive. Um, I don't know. What did you guys think? So, I thought. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, you go, Colin. You picked the movie. Oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, I feel like. Defoe is probably the most reliable between the two because he was kind of the seasoned veteran of the guy of the two of them. Um, and he, you know, seemed like a total hard ass for most of it. And I think he definitely alluded that to before, like in the beginning of the film, why he works him so hard was because of the, like, if you don't constantly do stuff, you'll just go mad. And that's the reason why, like, he would never let um, Pattinson's character, like, take a break, essentially. Like, he would just work him to the bone all the time. Mm-hmm. And I think, obviously, um, Defoe's character, like, he's had this rotation of, like, the underlings with him. And, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, so Pattinson's character even said, like, oh, yeah, this is the furthest lighthouse out, which gives me the most money, right? Yeah. So they're probably, like, literally in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Those character knows that, right? So it's, like, only the most cast-off, like, wayward people would work in that spot with him. So he knows, like, he has a background. He has a secret. Like, and that's probably what happened to his last wiki, right? Like, he probably, mm -hmm. you know, spilled the beans on something, like... Most normal people wouldn't give up, you know, a month of their life to go live on like a rock in the middle of the ocean for no yeah. reason. So that's the reason why there's the scene where he's like, "Why'd you spill your beans?" He said that like six mm. times. Right? <laughs> <laughs> he, like, and in this case, he sort of murdered a guy or you know, <laughs> helped him when he was dying and took his his name. So like, yeah. I knew that, and that's the reason why they didn't talk that much, right? Or he would like they would try to get him a drink and just kind of like smooth that out or mm -hmm. he was you know uh you know gay and like pattinson he said he was cute like throughout the movie and he said he mm -hmm. wanted like his lobster so maybe that was also the thing so i don't know i don't mm -hmm. know best it was i think he i think neither of them are reliable narrators just because how crazy the scenario got how isolating it was true yeah, it's almost like, I mean, there was definitely moments where I felt like Defoe's character was gaslighting Pattinson's character. Definitely. With, like, telling him, oh, you've been at, you've been, you just ran over here, and you were the one who did that, not me, or, like... Totally manipulative. Oh, my yeah, God. Like, oh, no, you we've been here for weeks, or something like that, like, yeah. crazy stuff, like, that makes you think, wait, what? <laughs> mm -hmm. And you're like, there's no way he's telling the truth. Because of yeah. what I've seen, but if you're seeing the world through Pattinson's eyes, I just thought that was really interesting. Mm. So that's that's yeah, how I. I oh no, sorry, I was going to no, say you wanted to talk before you got. <laughs> I was going to say that's so. So with what I said at the start, that's sort of what I was alluding to when in the middle of the movie I was saying, "What the hell is going on?" Mm -hmm. um, I felt that that was um, just amazing, and I'm assuming this is filmography. Um, just, just work by by the whole team with putting us in the shoes of Robert Pattinson's character because I'm thinking the same thing he's thinking. Am, am I going crazy? What What's happening here? I just saw an octopus come out of Willem Dafoe. Is Willem Dafoe? Is that is that real? Is this? Am I seeing reality here? And I felt mm -hmm. totally relate to the main character and thinking, Am I going crazy? And as the movie progressed on and on. Um, I felt that we could easily tap into that perspective. And I would always go back to trusting um, Robert Pattinson's character, even though I would have those same thoughts that you were mentioning, David. Is mm -hmm. is is everything we've seen a lie? Is William Dafoe just lying to us? What What is going on? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that. And, like, at first, I... Well, I, I guess I'll say the movie really makes you want to cling on to one character or the other and like think that they're telling the truth um, until they like totally turn it on you, you know, about halfway through the movie. Um, and at first I like thought that was a criticism of the movie because I was like, Oh, like this movie's not doing a good job of like communicating like what the truth actually is. But then I was like, okay, wait, right. That's like actually the point. Like, like you said, Hunter, they're really trying to put you in their shoes and kind of like see that when presented with this, like, um, chaotic situation where you're like isolated on an island like it's hard to do figure out what what's really going on um and and to that point i think like even from the first scene um both characters like look at the viewer directly 
um, through the screen. And I think that it, it just kind of adds to the whole, mm -hmm. like bringing the viewer into it and mm -hmm. making you feel isolated with them. Um, so yeah, I agree with all yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. And their own relationship with each other is so interesting. Like they go back and forth being friends, being enemies. Like, meanwhile, I really think that the most interesting part is that at the end of the day, you can actually trust that the facts are that there was stuff written in a book that they both looked at and acknowledged. Like that's like one of the only aspects of truth in this whole movie. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And it's funny, that's like the only part that's black and white, even though the whole thing is black and white. Interesting. <laughs> um, I see what you did there. Yeah. yeah I see the black and white. <laughs> I wish the laugh track, cue the laugh track. Yeah, cue the laugh track. Um, what do you guys think Robert Pattinson saw at the end? It like, blew his mind. Wasn't it all like kind of allusion to uh, was it Sisyphus or Prometheus, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And that's the reason why the ending was yeah. the gulls like picking his guts out, essentially, right? Was mm -hmm. uh, I think Defoe's character, especially being the one that was like had the most tenure on the island, right? Like spending all that time making sure that the the light was kept, right? Like them toiling away all for this one light. I, I think obviously he got super like almost religious with it, you know, mm -hmm. spending night, almost naked, getting drunk with the light. Right. And I think it could have been anything in there. I think just probably the fact that it, them living like in a dark and gross Island, like him getting up to the top was enough for him just to go mad too, because the Defoe's character just coveting it all the, all the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. Yeah. I mean, they both got to the point where they were like drinking lantern oil, right? Yeah, they're just yeah. being yeah. drunk up kerosene. Yeah. Yeah, they both, I mean, they both were going pretty insane, and they both eventually spilled all their beans. Mm -hmm. Why'd you spill the beans? Why'd you spill the beans? <laughs> Speaking of spilling the beans. So, uh, so real quick, Colin, what you were saying with Prometheus, uh, as I was, when, when the ending hit, I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense, because it was clearly... Um, given with that image of the goals picking out um, what we would assume is Robert Pattinson's lover. With mm -hmm. Prometheus when the he went for the fire from Zeus and then uh, was banned for eternity for having and then had to have an eagle eat his liver every day. But during the movie, I thought I had one other theory, which I actually want to run by you guys. I, I thought this for a second, dismissed, and then at the end I went back and said, I wonder if he's in purgatory. Because this whole thing just didn't feel real. It did not feel real. And so I said, I wonder if he somehow died and this is somehow like a test. And then I, I threw that away. But then at the end, when he went to the lighthouse, I said, well, I wonder if if maybe this was all a test and his journey is, is that when he finally reaches the lighthouse, that's like the gate to go into heaven. And he is sitting there and freaking out. And then all of a sudden he gets denied because of all the of him going mad during his time working there is he started off really great he didn't drink he was working hard and then he quickly went into this phase of becoming crazy drinking like crazy um attacking defoe's character and then 
all of a sudden at the end when he tries to sort of get into heaven he gets denied and falls back down to his death or what would be then his reality i guess yeah to take that a step further like i feel like the movie really starts to change around the part where or where pattinson's character falls from the like harness you know, he falls like 15 feet to the ground. There's a crack. The lights go out. The camera actually stops rolling. And then it cuts back to like the seagull being back. The same one. That Also, I noticed that seagull had like a yep. bum eye on the on yeah. its left eye. Much like Defoe's character had like a squinty eye on the left. It really like kind of seemed like it was part of him. Um, or like an extension of him. And then like that's where things just all start to go downhill. Um, and he starts to see more things like the, like the mermaid. Um, by the way, this is like the third movie we've watched that has boobs in it. It is. <laughs> what? Well, what is well, going on? <laughs> well, well, real quick on the comment on the on the seagull. Wasn't it the guy that Defoe killed? Remember when he was pulling up the lobster? Oh the, yeah. Thing from the scene, you saw the guy's head. Oh. He had he had like an eye gashed. Wasn't it? Wasn't it the? The guys. Oh, that makes sense. And he said that the gulls have the souls of uh, dead sailors. Yeah. yeah. Right. Oh, also, do we even... Yeah, the guy he like, failed to save. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do we even believe that Defoe did kill that guy? Like, that's one thing I was wondering. Like, I he's... think... Yeah. I, I, I think the decide. same scenario happened, yeah. right? Where, like, the one-eyed character that you... His head was in a, you know, lobster trap was mm-hmm. like also a killer or you know miscreant or whatever and spilled his beans to defoe and then he wanted to kill defoe but defoe actually you know killed him and maybe mm-hmm. that's why defoe had a bum leg or whatever yeah mm-hmm. so like the same scenario happened so that actually makes a lot of sense i just kept thinking because defoe kept changing his story and but we know that you know, Ephraim or Ephraim Winslow or Thomas Howard, whatever you want to call him, he was seeing you know coffins and logs in the in the ocean and like mm-hmm. seeing the old Ephraim Winslow and flashes, and he was seeing like tentacles up in the lighthouse, and, and he was being attacked by gulls, and you know he saw a mermaid, and then she was like screaming at him, and you know there was just a lot of you know crazy things going on to him that made you think maybe he's not all there oh yeah definitely Mm -hmm. yeah so then when he sees the head i'm thinking well this is pretty far into him being you know Mm -hmm. just insane so like is he really seeing that head because when he comes back and tells thomas wake uh the foe's character he thomas wake just gives him like this sad look like oh my goodness you you've really gone insane. Like he actually feels pity for him instead of (laughs) fear, which I think was a really interesting emotion to react with that. Mm -hmm. Like it makes you think maybe Defoe's character wasn't insane at all. Like maybe he was just kind of, you know, keeping his, his cards close to the chest and like, cause he, he noticed this guy was lazy and wasn't doing his job. So he was just documenting it, trying to survive, Mm -hmm. you know, likes to get drunk. I don't know. Made me really trust him a lot more. Um, I think that's interesting. I also thought so. Two things. One, I thought it was interesting that they were both named Thomas. Um, I, yeah. 
I thought that was very interesting. I I had a at the I, I hate to keep spewing theories, um, but I I tried just to figure out what this movie meant. So at the end, I also had a theory since they're both named Thomas, and then also wake is technically associated with death when you have a wake when someone dies. I was thinking, oh, I wonder if um, they're in some type of loop where I obviously. Thomas Wayne, yeah. Defoe's character, knows that the birds will attack if you hurt them. And he hurt his leg somehow. And he kept lying about it, so we don't know the truth about how he hurt his leg. And he's mm-hmm. been at the lights mm-hmm. for a very long time, and he basically worships the light. So he knows what's there. At the mm-hmm. end of the movie, um, Pattinson's character kills Defoe, goes up, and falls down. I assume that when he fell down the whole stairs, I was like, oh, maybe that's how he hurt his leg. Mm-hmm. And then attacked by the birds, I'm like, oh, now he knows that the birds will attack him if he ever harms them. He also knows what's in the light at the lighthouse, and he's the only one there. And he's also killed someone else. Mm. And I just thought for a second, I was like, oh, I wonder if that's just like a later version of himself, and it's just this infinite loop of someone going there and either killing their older self or possibly just somebody repeating the same thing over and over. Yeah, that kind of Purgatory is what I was going to say. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say uh, he could also be alone on the island. He's hallucinating Defoe's character. Yeah, Colin, I'm with you on that one. I thought it's almost that, a that was projection my of where too. he thinks he's going to be. Because Defoe even says that at one point. He's like, how do you even know that I'm real? You know, as he's like sitting in that rocking chair or something when, when Tommy's freaking out. I, I I agree that I think it could be some sort of internal struggle that he's going through where he's creating like this figment of his imagination while he's like kind of on the run trying to avoid all of the mistakes that he's made and clearly not being able to deal with you know the either murder or clear negligence of saving someone that he has in his past Mm -hmm. yeah i totally agree that that was exactly my thought process too like i even wrote down like oh ephraim is just like projecting his guilt on like this imaginary person basically um yeah, no, I, I'm totally with you. Hmm. That's really interesting. Like, I don't know. <laughs> and and, and that is, that's something that I really liked about this movie overall, is that, like, as we're talking about it, this movie invites the viewer to just speculate about so many things. And it, it like, gives you, like, just enough information that you could, like, go down 50 different avenues of all plausible theories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, which is, I, I thought was really well done. I think that's, okay, going along the lines of, like, if you start to assume that it's some kind of time loop or that it's all one person, like, you could say that the part where he tries to, ba- like, where uh, Pattinson tries to bury Defoe, like, alive, is, like, him trying to bury his past. And that's, oh. when, that's when Defoe comes at him with a hatchet, like, out of nowhere. That's, like, the only jump scare in the movie that really got me. Mm-hmm. Um like he just comes out of nowhere kind of like how you can never really escape your past mm-hmm. um yep. and that would that would make sense again for that that whole looping idea um or theory i like that a lot also uh i mean what do you guys think about the fact that there was a lot of this is kind of like changing gears here but there was a lot of like um i guess a uh, You'd say masturbation. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I guess, to be blunt, <laughs> I guess you could say 
Just one. I was gonna try and say something else, and then I just went for it. Um, <laughs> but like, like you know, it was obviously a male-centric movie with like two guys being the leads and the main characters, pretty much the only humans in the whole movie. Um, and then on top of that, they're in a giant phallus-shaped building. That's true. Like, mm-hmm. like you know, I mean. I don't know. What do you guys think? Is there anything to dissect there? I feel like it was very Greek. Like, I feel like a lot of it was allusions to Greek, especially with Defoe's character, like, referencing uh, I think it was Titan or, uh, and Prometheus and, you know, Neptune, big one. Neptune. So I think it was, oh, yeah. obviously, that has a lot of homoerotic themes to it. Um, I, yeah, I thought it was funny. They would always get drunk and end up like cuddling, and I'm assuming <laughs> they just didn't know a lot of the stuff that happened. Um, I, yeah. I read the Wikipedia article about it after the fact, and like apparently the whole scene about like Defoe was like, "Do you like my cooking?" And Patton's character is like, "No, I hate your cooking. It's awful." And he's like, "At least like my lobster." <laughs> that was like an allusion to, uh, you know them getting it on i guess uh, oh. see the problem is i know my mom's listening to this podcast now so i want to make sure i don't <laughs> incriminate myself i specifically did not share this with my parents because <laughs> i knew what was coming up <laughs> don't worry we'll share with them for you you don't have to worry about it um <laughs> i mean i thought yeah that's- i thought there was like a lot of comedy in the in like the thriller aspect of it like with the farts constantly breaking the tension mm-hmm. like as intense as it's getting the stupid seagull keeps pecking at the window until he finally just smashes it like it's kind of like over the top so over the top that it's humorous i don't know about you guys i was kind of like cracking up at that part yeah. a little bit i think they like, did that on purpose because they they like all the shots like none of them stay super long like they, they stay long in certain parts but <laughs> i'm just beating the gull to death was way longer than it should have been. Like, how much more budget do we have left for the four million? Oh, like 60 bucks? Okay, just spend it all on blood for this bird. Like, fill it up like a balloon and just <laughs> tell Patrick. <laughs> yeah, they really did go do a number on that bird. Um, so that brings me to, like, what was your favorite part of the movie? I mean, favorite moments, if you have any. I can go first. Um, I think my favorite moments, there were three of them. First one being his fall from the top. Because to me, they showed many times that huge spiral staircase. And you keep thinking, kind of like Chekhov's gun, you're like, okay, they've shown the staircase, something's going to happen with this staircase. To me, I knew it was kind of inevitable that somebody was going to fall down that staircase. So he mm-hmm. belabors his climb all the way up to the top. He finally sees the light, and then he falls from grace. And I thought that was such a great shot and such a good payoff. Mm-hmm. Um, that made my favorite. And then the sequel smash. <laughs> the sequel smash was incredible. Um, and just also, like, totally changes the tone of the movie. Before that, it's kind of like, you know, they're tipping around, tiptoeing around, trying to, you know, not piss off Poseidon. And then... He warns him about the seagulls, and then he just completely disregards that and just smashes it to bits. Um, and then finally, the mermaid scene was just really interesting. Like, not the first mermaid scene, but the second mermaid scene. Because the first mermaid scene, I actually kind of still was 
thinking he might be sane and that there might actually be mermaids. Like, I thought maybe this was like a world set where there actually are, you know, mythical creatures. So I wasn't really sure what to believe at this point. We're like 10 minutes in or something. Um, but, but after he sees the second time, I'm like, okay, yeah, this guy's insane. Um, but it was really well shot and also very kind of perturbing. I really liked um, all like the cinematic shots of like when they would show the staircase, like both from the bottom looking up and from the top looking down. Um, first of all, because it was just really cool because it was a spiral staircase and like the way the light would like shine through, you could like see him like going up or down or like carrying something up or carrying it something down. Um, that was really cool. Um, and so I, I guess those are some of my favorite parts. Like, I, I don't know, like plot wise, I don't know if I had a favorite part, but I just like, I, I did enjoy, um, the, the artistic presentation throughout. So, um, I, I think that was kind of just like a, like a uniformly <laughs> enjoyable thing. Throughout the whole mm -hmm. movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, same with me. I love certain, nothing particular with the plot, but the, a few shots that stuck out for me was any thing that Robert Pattinson, whenever he was working hard, um, I think of when he was uh, using the wheelbarrow and both of the times when the first time when he was, uh, you could tell it was really heavy and it was just starting to rain and he was, he had the um, sheet covering the coal and then it falls over and he gets pissed. And then the next time when it's pouring rain and he's still doing that and it's the close up on his face and you can see him struggling. I just thought he killed it in every every shot he was in with um, especially just the ones where he was alone and he was working, you could just, I, I just appreciated his acting. I just thought it was phenomenal. I also, the opening shot where um, you saw the water hitting the boat. I don't know how to voice this in the, in, in cinematography language, but where it looks almost deep, tacky, like thrown together where you can tell that it's not a, a big budget movie but you can appreciate it because it also just looks like it fits right in with how the movies, it, you, it looks like it's supposed to be there, but you can also tell that it's not mm, um, yeah. uh, the nicest shot that could be had. I'm just thinking of immediately at the start where the boat's going through the water, you can see the stuff on the boat hitting against it and it's in the storm. And you know that if this was a big budget movie, it would look totally different, but I yeah. just, I just I, thought, I didn't think it looked that bad. <laughs> no, I didn't think it looked bad. I thought it was like more Wes Anderson. I think that's what the aspect ratio kind of yeah. wants you to do, right? Where mm -hmm. it's also kind of an old timey where they're like, oh, we're shooting a subject, stick it in the middle. Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't think it was, I don't think it was a bad thing. I think I said earlier that I was like, oh, they, they did the best what they could with their aspect ratio and stuff. And I think it was a negative. I, I, I kind of meant like it was, um, you, you show, you're very deliberate what you show. Right, you can't really do a lot of background. I think that was kind of apparent. Um, it's very much a like a focal, just zoom in on those two characters just losing their shit on the island, mm -hmm. uh, and that's kind of it. And I feel like that's not a bad thing, right? It was like this is what's going on, and I think the cool thing is that what they're showing isn't necessarily real, mm -hmm. so that's where kind of like the depth of the cinematography comes in, like, even though all the shots were really cool. Like, I love the one where they did, where he killed the gull and it panned all the way up the lighthouse and it showed mm. the, uh, 
the weather changing and you're like, ah, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, this movie... I do like that. I feel like... Yeah, there's like a lot of... You have to figure out what's going on. They don't just tell you. Um, like, I don't know, like kind of how you were talking about at the beginning. I mean, yes, the movie was in black and white with the t- like tiny aspect ratio, but I didn't really piece it together that this movie was shot in the 1890s until like probably 30 minutes in when uh, Defoe is talking about how, oh yeah, back in 63, we were on the ship sailing across this, uh, the ocean or something like that. And I'm like, well, we didn't really have sailors in 1963 that were just like on a wooden ship sailing across like a, you know, like a normal uh, explorer would. But I guess back in 1863, it would make more sense. You, you couldn't like tell from the way they were talking or the way they were dressed? Uh, <laughs> uh, no, of course I could tell that. It's I mean, this very let's be real. I mean, that's just what people from the 1980s looked like. I don't know, man. I'm just <laughs> Andrew. I'm so Andrew used to movies. Call. He's very. I'm not that smart. Okay, all right. <laughs> don't like, tell. Oh, yeah, 1890s vintage. Wonderful. <laughs> yeah, like I'm so used to movies that like open up with like 1980. You know, the year just being plastered on like the screen. On the middle of the screen. Yeah, like like we're going to be very obvious with you. Or like, I mean, Parasite showing up with a smartphone at the very first second of the movie. You're like, okay, this is set in like modern times. Um, I guess like I'm not as well versed in clothing of time periods as I would like to be. You know, that's something, something for me to take notes on and, and really study for the future. But You um, wish there was like the Marvel thing where it's all in the bottom left-hand corner. Exactly. Like, that's what I'm saying, you know. This movie didn't have that, so you had to actually figure it out. Okay, all right. I'm just glad I did. Okay, <laughs> pieced it together. Um, I, think, I think that's interesting because that was one of the things that I thought was that I noted was consistently through the movie when um, you, they were saying Panson said, "Oh, it's been two weeks," and it didn't feel like it had been two weeks. He was originally going to spend four weeks at the on the island, and he said, "Oh, it's been two weeks. I have two weeks left." And I it, that happened in like a flash, and I thought yeah, that their, the way that they helped made the viewer perceive time was um, just fascinating, and I think that it worked very well for you. Yeah, that's yeah, a really good I, point. I agree. And, <laughs> um, I, sorry, <laughs> I, I just want to jump in and like, as much as this was like a psychological thriller, I just was blown away by how many like funny moments there were to just completely cut the tension. Like I know we already talked about the goal, but. The scene where Pattinson like is struggling to get that oil barrel up the steps, and we like yeah. go with him the entire time, and then he gets up there, and Defoe is like, "You should have just used this little can. Now get that back downstairs." <laughs> yeah. I was like, I, that to me was just like such a funny moment where I was like, "I if I was this dude, I would be losing my mind too. Like uh-huh. I would be going insane if this dude was my boss and this is what I had to do." And then again, like that scene where um, Defoe is like screaming at him about, like, "Well, do you do you like my lobster?" And he goes on for like three or four minutes cursing him and damning him and all of this. And then they pan around and Pattinson's just sitting there. He's like, well, all right, have it your way then. Like, yeah. that to me was like the best delivery of that one. Like, I, I, I could not stop laughing at the way that that was delivered. Like, the way that they flipped that around, I was like, this movie like has no business, like, including yeah. like funny moments like this. There's no way yeah. here, but man, do I love it. That's, or the, yeah. the scene with uh, Pattinson with the chamber pots. And he has to walk it all the way down. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> he throws it into the wind. <laughs> oh. You're yelling. This is like in the Big Lebowski. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I thought there was really funny moments in there that just like 
they weren't out of place, but like they weren't with the rest of the theme of the movie. And I thought, you know, what a great way to just build some of that stuff in there. Yeah. Um, I really like the way they used sound and dialogue in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like, there were many times where the sound just kind of cut out. Like, when he's wading into the water the first time, because he starts to see, like, someone out there, so he thinks. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and then, like, it keeps cutting back and forth between the person and the waves, and then, like, him being in the water, and you realize, oh, man, he's, like, going into the water. Like, he's up to his nose. Um, and there's no sound to accompany it. Yet you're thinking, if this is shot on, like, an old-time camera, you know, this obviously is not waterproof. That kind of broke the emergency for me for a second, but the silence um, kept the tension going. Uh, and then, there, of course, there were many other times where they used silence and sound and noise to, like, really sell the plot. Yeah, I thought the foghorn throughout the fog was, was a great, yeah. great use of sound. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Like it was just like such a perfect sound to encapsulate everything that was going on, and the moments that they chose to bring it back in, like as a constant at least throughout the throughout the film, to kind of like fall back on like that awful, terrible sound that I want them <laughs> to stop playing all the time. Like it's another one of those things where it's like you can kind of at least a little bit relate to like why Pattinson's got to be going insane. Like, could you imagine? Every minute of every day for weeks, just hearing that sound again and again and again and again. Like I, like I would be losing my mind if my boss was like, "I'm not real. It's been four <laughs> weeks. Why did you chop up the boat?" And that sound is just playing on a loop in the background. Like, I like, how do you not go insane in, in a situation like that? Yeah, and then he touches the clock too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you got tuberculosis. He's just like standing with a glass in his hand, and he's like. Oh yeah, no, tetanus. <laughs> that was a funny part too. That was a funny part. He's like, "What happened to your hand?" He's like, "Oh, you know, it's fine." And he's like, "No, the other one." And then pans over, and that hand's like super bloody. And he's like, "Oh, this? Oh, I don't know." <laughs> yeah, for a split second, you're like, "Did he punch the clock?" I thought he punched the clock, and then you're like, "Oh yeah, he did punch the clock." <laughs> yeah, the amount of like, uh, like, uh, like poop and piss like in the movie is immense. Like, I feel like it definitely brought into the realism of them going crazy. Because of how mundane all their tasks is, including them. Like, that was the first time we heard Defoe's character because he was behind the pillar. Yeah. <laughs> Just taking yeah. a dump. Like, and then, yeah, that's how he finds the, the logbook because he's peeing into a mug submerged in water and the, bo- the, the book floats by next to him. And he's like, yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, speaking of. Oh, sorry. Okay, well, I was going to say, speaking of punching the clock, just as a quip, like, you know, he really was just there to punch in and punch out. Like, he wasn't really there because he cared. Mm-hmm. Just punching the clock. Boo. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And, of course, he did it over the time, just like the bird. <laughs> yeah. 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 He really went in there to punch the clock. I'm just saying. <laughs> okay. I'm out. <laughs> so, uh, so, one thing, talking about funny moments, um, one thing that I thought was funny, but I also thought that was used well in the movie was um the scenes where you sort of double took for a second where if you blinked you missed something mm-hmm. um specifically the first one i thought was when Pattinson first went out at night and he was looking at the lighthouse just at night and you're the lights moving and then all of a sudden you see defoe's character like naked on the glass and and 
but then I won. That was hilarious. But then two, the light moves, and you're like, wait, did I see it? Because the next time it goes around, you don't see anything. And then when it goes on, when it, you you get the close up of pants in space, and you see the light move over, you see the shadow of Defoe. And I just thought that that was great with just again putting you in the in pants and shoes with thinking, did I see that? Was that real? Did that actually happen? And if you're in the theater, you wouldn't have the ability to pause or rewind the movie. Yeah, that's a really good point. That feeling a little more. I totally missed that. <laughs> yeah. Like, even the part where, where the head was in the basket. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I barely even noticed that because I was, like, looking down to write something down. Like, that's just one of those, like, you could blink and miss it scenes that really just drives home how kind of crazy he was going. Right. To be fair, there are just a lot of things in this movie. <laughs> like I, I, I'm kind of embarrassed to say, like I didn't pick up on like any of like the homoerotic stuff until like I read the Wikipedia summary, and it was like, oh, to say like this movie has homoerotic subtext is like arguing that the sky is blue. I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like totally I missed man. all of that as well. Andrew's like, it's you guys being yeah okay because like because like, like you said colin like they were cuddling and stuff after like a fight and i'm like oh that's weird i wonder why <laughs> i just thought i just thought it was because they were drunk i thought it was because you know like when when yeah you're just with your buddies and yeah it's, it's just them cuddling, cuddling alone it's just like two homies that's it. they're plastered <laughs> <laughs> they're just friends they're roommates guys. come on <laughs> they always bring roommates to thanksgiving dinner everyone knows that right <laughs> <laughs> well i i mean that's pretty much all i have to say about this movie i think um i don't know about you guys do you have anything else you want to bring up i would love to ask i would love to add this to our podcast a rewatchability factor is this movie a rewatch for you guys i think i think i was just thinking okay i just said i think three times um <laughs> yes Yes. <laughs> I think you could rewatch this movie multiple ways. Like watch it with the sound off, watch it again just to understand it better. Um put the subtitles on to make sure you understand what they're saying. Yeah. That's I feel like I- you could also do a super cut of this movie where you just take the funny parts and make like a <laughs> fifteen minute comedy movie. Like <laughs> like I feel like there's a lot of stuff going on here that again, it doesn't all make sense together. Mm-hmm. But if you took just the little parts of it out, you could make a movie that's way scarier or way more funny. Really interesting. I would rewatch it, like David said, just to like understand it better. But kind of like some of the other movies we've watched, this is like another one that's like, it's just not like easy watching. It's like kind of jarring. It's like complex. Um, and yeah, so I, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't watch it again just for fun. I would do it like in a critical sense. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that very much. I think I'd give it like maybe one more view just to make sure that I'm seeing everything that they're picking. You know, those blinking, you miss it moments. Make sure you're picking up on that stuff. Um, go into it with a little bit more context and a little bit more understanding. You know, I, I don't typically do a lot of research on movies before I go in and watch them. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll look up like you know who's in it, how much it was made when it came out, that kind of stuff. But um, go back in with a little bit of understanding about kind of like the Greek mythology aspect and like having known where this goes and what the purpose was. I think you could get, you know, I would give it maybe one more view just to get a little bit more critical understanding, but I wouldn't 
you know, if I was flipping through channels and I saw it on TV, I wouldn't go, oh, I love this movie. Let me just sit here and watch this for a couple hours. <laughs> Can't argue with that. Yeah, I feel the same as well with uh, maybe watch it one more time and see what I can note. Or, uh, David, like you mentioned, watch with the sound off in another experience. But I can't see myself popping a bunch of popcorn saying, I'm going to watch the light <laughs> like amped. I can't, I can't see myself doing that. Nope. Unless yeah. you're Freud. And then you're yeah. like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think... Yeah, because the symbolism wasn't super apparent. Like, it was kind of mumbled under their breath, really. Then you'd have to know. You have to, like, index in your brain. You're like, ah, yeah, Prometheus. Like, I know what that means. Because he said a bunch of random Greek, you know, gibberish before. And you were like, yeah, sure, whatever. Like, nautical themes. (laughs) So, yeah, I think, I don't know. I wouldn't mind watching again in, like, a year. Like, you know, next October, spooky season. Like, I think it would be kind of fun. Um, so it wasn't. You could probably make like a drinking game out of it, honestly. Like anytime, uh, Pattinson's William character Defoe farts. Yeah, William <laughs> Defoe farts. Pattinson's character like messes up a task. <laughs> There's a seagull. Like you could probably make it happen. <laughs> but it's not really like a party movie. You couldn't like like hey, everybody. Let's. <laughs> I would argue that this is even more of a party movie, just because there's so much going on that you could like you know, not pay attention, look over for a second, like, what the heck? And then that just starts a conversation right there. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. but I watched the entire movie and every moment was still like that for me, so... Exactly, that's <laughs> the, yeah. Exactly. That's the beauty of it. You know? It's kind of like a Alfred Hitchcock movie, like, there's just a lot going on. Um, it's got that black and white aspect to it. That's what made me think of it. Mm-hmm. That'd be that's interesting. You oh no no beard you go because I'm gonna dive a little off topic. Oh well, yeah, I, I was just gonna agree with you, David. It's like an Alfred Hitchcock and Wes Anderson hybrid. Mm-hmm. I don't really know much about Wes Anderson. I'll have to look into that. Well, you should. We'll, oh, we'll, we'll pick a movie. That, be, that has to be a movie. You have to watch that. We gotta watch oh, some more. Yes. <laughs> Wait, what movie? I didn't hear. Rushmore. You were. I mean, uh, Nope. It, I don't, I mean, I'm not surprised. It's a super obscure independent movie. <laughs> oh, are they? Or we probably do grand. It's a little bit more Funniest line ever. <laughs> okay, anyway. Um, what was it? Oh, you, you said uh, spooky season. I think, I know next week we're going to do Peanut Butter Falcon, but maybe we could have like a horror movie October special. Ooh. Yeah. Even oh, though totally. I, I hate horror movies, I get scared very easily let's define a good thinker horror movie should watch the babadook again oh Oh my god i never want to watch that movie again in my life (laughs) that was by far the scariest movie i think i've ever seen oh my god (laughs) we'll have to top that one we'll have to find a scarier movie for chad so he can you know then he can watch the babadook again because it won't be the scariest movie that he's seen eight years since i've seen the babadook and i still don't (laughs) want to watch that again That's the movie with the book. Yes. Yep. I haven't. I haven't seen it. I just have seen the picture on Netflix. Yeah, dude. Yeah, it's a it's a good one. It's honestly a good movie. Great horror movie. Great, great scary movie. Never see it. No. All right. Well, I'm gonna end the podcast here. Um, We'll keep talking, and you know, uh, 
we'll figure out, you know, obviously we're going to watch Peanut Butter Falcon this week and then uh, we'll go from there. All right. Hope you enjoyed this podcast and uh, thanks for listening. All right. Have a great day.